Hi, everybody. David Noor back with you for another episode of the Service Council in Service podcast series. I'm delighted to be joined today by Jen Grant, who is CEO of Appify. Hello, Jen. Hi. It is uh, great to have you uh, for our audience. We are live on, let's see, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Uh, Jen has got a fantastic background. Appify is doing some really cool things in the uh, field service, customer service, customer experience space. Today's episode, we're going to talk about creating a connected service experience. And I want to encourage you to jump in with your comments, with your questions, with your insights. And we want to make this as interactive as possible. If you also don't subscribe yet, uh, Service Council in Service podcast series, we tend to do a couple of episodes a month, and you can find those uh, wherever you consume podcasts. So Jen, why don't we start with a, a high-level overview, and let's start with your professional background. Tell us a little about where you've been and what you've done kind of to get us to here. Sure. Yeah. So I have been in enterprise software for 15 plus years. Uh, I sort of, like every Silicon Valley, had a little time at Google. Uh, but then mostly, you know, I was head of marketing at Box, so content, SaaS, uh, cloud, uh, cloud content management. And then I went to Elastic. So it was a little more middleware, open source, again, enterprise software. And then uh, most recently I was at Looker. So um, business intelligence, data analytics, bringing together all those data silos to really get insights for an organization. And in all of those roles, I was on the go-to-market side. So marketing, customer success, sales. And uh, I found Appify through Hari Subramanian. So he was the co-founder of ServiceMax. Uh, then sold that to GE, left, and built the technology that is the core of what Appify is today. So met him, and here I am. That's fantastic. And how about a little overview on Appify? What do you guys do? Yeah, so Appify is a rapid app development platform. So that's that's the terminology we like to use. But the way to think about it is we make it easy to connect into any data source that you have and create apps. So, and in particular, we're very, very good at mobile apps, which is why field service, customer success, anytime someone is out in the field, working with a customer, fixing a product, we are excellent for creating whatever app is the right uh, information to get to those folks in the field. And who's the buyer for this? Who's that target uh, yeah. kind of a business owner of what, what the problems you guys solve? Yeah, you know, we typically talk to a VP of service or a VP of operations. Uh, sometimes, you know, directors who have huge parts of the business that are, again, out there in the field, servicing the product, servicing customers, um, whatever they might need to do. Um, and so those are the, the business owners that we typically talk to. In some cases, it's a GM or something like that. Um, but we also talk to IT. We make them happy too, but we don't usually start there. <laughs> and uh, if there are four or five big problems you guys solve, what, are mm -hmm. there some consistent challenges you and your team run into that this audience is kind of frustrated by, aggravated by, feels like they're either you know, missing an opportunity or they're using a yep. whole lot of different tools maybe to get there? Yeah. So I would start with the number one problem we solve is that uh, very often you might have an app for your employees, but most service organizations, around 40% 
of the folks that are out there in the field are not employees of the company. And so that disparity between the experience your employees get and the access to work orders and customer information and product information, warehouse, you know, whatever it might be, is very different for the contractors. They don't have the kind of apps that give them access to that information. So the first number one biggest thing we're seeing is this uh, external partner app is a huge need. Uh, and there and there are different levels of what you want to give your partner based on, you know, your own security concerns, and then also, you know, the how big and how important that partnership is. So I'd say that was the number one. Um, if I was to mention a number two, not to go on for too long, it would be single pane of glass is the way we talk about it. Um, every organization has multiple data silos, so you might have Oracle and Salesforce and ServiceMax and you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And very often employees are left with the complexity of that stack. So, well, I have to do something, but I have to log into Salesforce to get that information. And, but then I have to go over to Oracle and get a different piece of information. And then, and then I, as the employee, have to kind of pull that together and sort of manually get it in one, you know, decision or one printout or one report. Uh, and so the the way the real interesting thing about Appify is that you can create an app that makes it invisible to the employee, to the user, all of the different data sources that data is coming from. So if you need to, you know, update, add, edit, delete, whatever you need to do in the background where they can't see it, it'll do the appropriate thing based on the data sources that you have. So that's so, been a huge thing for us. It's almost like a presentation layer in yeah. front of all this, you know, I, I don't care where it is. I don't care how it works. I just want to be able to yeah. see it. More importantly, act on it. Is that fair? Yeah. yeah. And we really look at that as, you know, the employee experience or the contractor experience is an extension of your customer's experience because the more you enable the people that are helping them, the better the experience will be for the customer. Wow, that person, they really understood my problem. They knew the history of my account. Uh, they were able to fix it quickly. And then when they weren't able, they were very quick in being able to say, you know, I'll be back in two days and this is the part I need and this is what it will cost. Um, and that experience, I think at the end of the day is what's critical. Got it. So let's look at uh, a little more holistically the, the, the field service, customer service space. Obviously, we're, there's still remnants of the pandemic. Obviously, you've got talent challenges, hence the, the hybrid employee contractor workforce. Talk about some of the trends, Jen, you've observed that you believe will have a lasting impact mm. in our work, in our work environment. Not, not, not a fad, not, a, not, not something that came and not went because of the pandemic, yeah. but something that's going to stay with us, you believe, for, for a longer duration. I would say the number one is this, this trade-off between employees and contractors. In fact, we're starting to even hear about the gig worker economy being a direction that field service could go. Uh, so, so the ability to work with both internal and external is going to continue to be a need uh, in field service, in customer support. Uh, I would say the second thing, and this is something that that Avify really prides itself on, is there is so much innovation. So. Uh, you know, there's there's AI software to do additional analysis on, you know, on your product. Uh, we do have one customer that has that. There's, you know, a, like we have a 
customer that has a pr special pricing engine that has to be used in order to give a project bid. But there's also all of the innovation in IoT and um, signals and uh, tracking and assets. And there's just a ton of innovation. But what's missing is that connective tissue to bring it all together. It's that, you know, it, simply said, you could say the work order that is the business process that brings it all together so that it's not again, this, this system, that system, this system, that system, that the employee just has this, here is my workflow, and it's all integrated by this connective tissue, which is where we think Appify really shines. So I'd say those two things are not going away. Just to build on the, the first comment about this trade-off between full-time employees and contractors, yeah. it seems like every industry, but field service, customer service in particular, is really challenged with the whole talent agenda. Yeah. You've got a whole generation that the silver tsunami that are retiring. You've got, you know, that new new generation of talent continuously becomes more challenging. What are you seeing in the talent space? What are some of your clients doing to yeah. kind of bridge that that talent to kind of meeting that customer expectation gap? Yeah, and that that's where this this sort of the pandemic has kind of blown open the distributed workforce, the idea that I should be able to kind of control my day more than I had in the past. So we're hearing that a lot where even, you know, current employees are saying, I don't want to work nine to five. I, it doesn't make sense. It's, it, it doesn't, you know, I know that if I drive, you know, two hours in that direction, I can hit three jobs and I can get back and I don't, it doesn't need to be at nine and, and at five, it should be what is right for the business. So we hear a lot of employees in the, in that sense saying like, hey, there's a different way to do that. And then that's what leads to this contractor and then eventually to this gig worker. So one, one of our uh, really interesting sort of ahead of the curve customers uh, wants to be able to say like, hey, as long as you're certified in being able to provide you know, what it is we provide, we will hook you up to our consumers or to our customers. Uh, customers that are asking for the service. And then you can, you know, you could do one job a day if you wanted to, or you could do 15 jobs a day. So you could work a 10 hour day if you felt like it and then not work the next day. So that, that gives like the total control of, you know, your life, your time, you know, how much work you do. And then obviously, you know, if you work 10 jobs, you're going to make more money. If you only work one, you make less money. And it's a choice that the employee can make and is not as sort of rigid as the way we've done things in the past. Uh, I used to call it the Hollywood talent model, where if you think <laughs> of Hollywood, very few people actually work for the studio. Studio right. hires a producer, they, they uh, license the screenplay, and then right. they go and, and basically find a whole bunch of contractors. And I don't know what a grip is, but go get me the best grip person. Right. And right. that's how they came together around a project. Now right. it seems like the the Uber version or the gig economy version yeah. really penetrating field service and customer service space. Absolutely. And we're definitely seeing that in requests, you know, as we start working with these companies, they're thinking about, you know, do I, do I go all, do I just say screw it and go all the way gig worker? Or is there a way to sort of have a, you know, a range? Like I have some employees, but I also have some contractors and then I have some, you know, I open it up to gig workers in some cases. So there's, there's a lot of challenges to get over. I think certification of gig workers is a big deal. You don't want your customers to have a bad experience. So you need to balance the flexibility and, and, and whatnot with that. And then of course, you know, if you, if you look at Uber, 
they had to go in and pay drivers to sit and be available in order to penetrate a city. Like there are ways to enter a city, but you got to be thinking about like, you know, it's like you can't just magically your supply and demand show up on the same day. You have to actually juice the system a little bit. So there are some investments that you need to make. This also builds on a conversation I'm having with leaders. I, I, I and I'd love your your perception of this. I, my my view of this is we used to create packages, and then fit employees into them. I yeah. think increasingly the challenge becomes find find the right talent and build yeah. a package around them. Build that which they care about. Yeah. And for many, the pandemic has just kind of really elevated this whole work life. I call it blending. That yeah. my kids or my grandkids are much more important to me than a nine to five job. I yeah. would like to work, but I want to work on my terms and not necessarily the structure of the organization. How does that, A, do you, do you believe in that assertion? Number one. Number yeah. two, that's got to then create challenges for managers and leaders who are trying to put teams together and have them yeah. focus on times when their customers want, want that assistance or want the support. Yeah, absolutely. I I have to say I love that analogy and I've not heard it. I think that's perfect that it, you know, we used to say here is the job fit in the box and now we're like, okay, amazing person, let's go fit the job around who you are and what you're great at. It's really 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 great analogy. So, I yeah, I think it's a challenge. I think it's something managers will have to figure out and and in order to even get to that world where they can fit the job around the person, they have to get rid of a lot of the bad practices that are going on today. So they have to get rid of, you know, manual data entry. And, you know, we've, we've heard even for, I mean, no one should feel bad. Fortune 500 companies we've talked to have talked about how they have, you know, Excel spreadsheets being sent through email that then are typed in. And we even had the, the they called it the swivel chair. Uh, database, which is the, you know, you take it from one database and then whoop, you put it in the other database and it's like, this is not going to work. And the more you start removing those really kind of less efficient processes, the more you have the ability to, uh, to kind of be flexible and adjust around the employee. And I think that's going to be, you know, if you were to say step one on the road to being able to be a, an employer that can offer that kind of, um, you know, build a job. Step one is removing the inefficiency from all your processes. And then step two is like, okay, so then now that we, you know, aren't dealing with paper and email, okay, how can we create technology to support that there is, you know, this person working these hours, this person working those hours. And that's where, you know, okay, now we've got AI and dispatching and, you know, auto scheduling and, and just a lot of the intelligence that exists that we bring together to say, okay, now we can offer this, you know, wonderful build a job experience that everybody is looking for. For our audience, if you just joined us, you're listening to Jen Grant, CEO of Appify, and we're talking about creating a connected service experience. I would encourage you to jump in with your questions, comments as we go through. So Service Council uh, has got some great research that shows signs of resistance against extended labor networks. You touch on a big part of it, certification, the risk associated with brand controls and other big impediments. Yes. Um, you're exactly right in that, that, again, certification, having, I've always believed service professionals are brand ambassadors, yes. right? So I, I buy a product based on a perception or service, based on a perception of what it can do for me. 
when I interact with service professionals, that's when that perception becomes reality. That's talk exactly. about certification. Talk about um, brand control with contractors. Yeah, I, I think that's critically important. And I think that is the step uh, that makes the contractor and the, you know, and even more the gig worker situation work. I think certifications are required. And those are um, those are the not the touchy feely things. Those I think, you know, if you are installing smart home devices, you are Google certified on all of the nests and the rings and the, you know, whatever it is. So, you know, I think every product needs to, every technology needs to have that kind of certification in place. That's not a new thing. That's, that's a, okay, we know how to do this. It, it is cut and dry. Do you know how to fix this product? Prove it. Okay. You're certified. That kind of thing I think is, I don't want to say easy, but it's a, it's a known quantity. I think the brand part of it is when we get into the emotional intelligence, into the, you know, the service experience, into the, is this person, uh, when something bad goes, are they capable of saying, oh my gosh, let me help you, like dealing with hard situations, dealing with a crisis in a way that, you know, when they walk away and maybe they haven't even solved the problem, and they have to walk away because they have to go either to their next appointment or they have to get a part or there are things that they don't have to be able to make that experience very positive for the customer, even if the, the issue is not resolved, I think is a really critical skill. And I and that's a harder one because it's not like you can take an online training test and suddenly you're emotionally intelligent and, you know, really good with service. So I think in those cases, companies need to step back and say, how do we how do we kind of bring those people into the fold and maybe maybe it's a two-day togetherness and and you work on attitude and service and what the brand represents and as a brand ambassador when you have a crisis this is this is how you manage it you know you always apologize you never make excuses etc and you escalate and let me talk to the manager let me get someone to help you because i can't you know just giving them the tools um, I think will help, but I don't, I honestly don't know of any company yet uh, that is really investing in that brand ambassador in that sort of emotional intelligence of your service folks. I think you, you, you came, yeah, so, sorry to interrupt. You came from marketing. You came from go to market yeah. roles. Why, why do you believe that's such a void? Why do you believe, because yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think the certification really highlights their technical competency. As you said, yeah. they know how to replace this storage unit or that medical device. Yeah. It's the, for lack of a better word, the soft skills. It's that emotional yeah. intelligence. It's your ability to make someone feel like they're your only customer. Yeah. I mean, problems happen, issues come up. That's not it. It's how you deal with them that I think really delineates some brands versus the others. I want to I want to hone in on your 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 comment that you know, no company we, by the way, I tend to agree, we know of are, are heavily investing in that, that experience, that last mile experience in some ways. Why do you think that is? Why is that so elusive for the space? You know, I think it's, it's typical in, and, and my analogy will be Silicon Valley based, so technology and software, but I think it's typical with product, even, you know, physical hardware, all of that technology, people are very focused on the technology and how great it is and the features and it does this great stuff. And so there's, there's a, there's a little discounting as a marketer. There's always like, ah, 
whatever. Anyone can come up with a marketing campaign. It'll be fine. It's no big deal. And then, you know, what you need to look at is those companies that do it so well. And that's usually what gets people over the hump. Like if you look at, you know, Southwest in the early days, that was customer service times a hundred. And they did train for it. And, you know, to be a flight attendant, you went through the sort of how to be great training. And there are other companies that have done that, you know, as well. But I don't, I think those of us that are either in technology or software products or, you know, machinery, we tend to get so excited about like the bits and bites and the coolness of it that we forget that, you know, I said this to, I had a, it was actually a very famous CEO that I met with. And he said, why won't people just be logical and buy the right product based on what they need? And I said, because humans never make a decision based on logic. It's always emotion. It's, I trust this company. I trust this sales rep. They make me feel like if things go wrong, they will be there for me. Like it's that connection that is so critical but it's hard for us technologists because we love the bits and bytes and we love all the details of how cool our stuff is. That's exactly right. So we've got a uh, LinkedIn user jumping in. Connecting starts with understanding and documenting process first. This mm. will then support identifying with Express Plus to start integrating the extended labor network. That's exactly right. And again, documentation seems to be a playbook, seems to be yeah. another one of those things that's really missing in in number of organizations. Um, so let's talk about let's talk about uh, many service leaders that you and I have met uh, are, are very tenured in roles, right? Seasoned mm -hmm. people. I jokingly say they yeah. didn't paint on the they didn't paint on the gray hair, right? They're very yeah. seasoned in their roles, which and they understand service, so that's admirable. Yes. The challenge becomes in many ways your comment about rapid application development. When you hear application development, you're like, oh my God, the last thing, I, I, I'm not a coder. Right, I don't want to be a coder. I don't, I've got people that do that. And talk about that trepidation about, they realize it's, it's almost like a necessary evil. Listen, I know service. I want to deliver great service. We realize the whole market is going more digital. How do you overcome that trepidation, one? And then how do you really demonstrate the, not the incremental, but exponential business impact when they yeah. do and when yeah. they really create a connected uh, environment? Yeah. So, so starting with the trepidation, I think one of the ways that we, well, I have so many things to say, but I'll start with the product. So in our case, the app development has to be simple. It has to be not coding. Um, so uh, I'd say two years ago, we called ourselves no code, but that doesn't really say what we do. So we don't talk about it anymore. We just say you don't need to code in order to create an app. So I'll start there. I think the second piece of it is, again, going back to really valuing uh, these older folks in the workforce who are extremely experienced, who have been through everything, who know your product back and forward, and they know how to deliver service. And being able to say to them, teach the younger generation, be a mentor, get involved. Don't be a single sort of out lone wolf out there just doing your thing. Give back to the organization and the organization honoring that and making sure they're compensated for it, that they are sharing their knowledge. And in those cases, then that learning and knowledge can come back into 
the technology. So, so that's where I would kind of put how to get them over the hump and how to make sure you capture all of that sort of experience and learning and wisdom and keep it in your organization by having it pass on. So that was the first. And then the, the second thing was how do you show value? And I think um, I'll start by telling a, a, a funny story. So we did work with one company where their problem was they had older employees that liked the Unix green screen. They liked it. They did not want to change that. They liked, they knew all the codes. They knew fast, fast, fast. And honestly, it's funny when you look back, you're like, yeah, it is faster to do that. I didn't have to click, 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 click. I just went code, 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 and I'm done. And once you've learned it, you like don't want to change. So we, we talked to this one company that said, well, we want to be able to offer this really old experience to the employees that want it. But we can't keep our new employees because they're like, what is this crap? No way will I learn these unit code. And so, again, that goes back to you've got to have both. You've got to be able to offer, you know, that sort of like, okay, cool. You know, you're so fast and productive with this old stuff. We're not going to make you change. And okay, cool. We get it, new generation. Like you absolutely needed this funky mobile app that is perfect and just like, you know, Facebooking and off you go. So it's being able to have that kind of flexibility to be able to support both, I think will help. And then our, of course, I was gonna say, the yeah, part is what's the ROI of this? <laughs> yeah, our younger audience, Unix is this, you know, when we had, when we had to roll roll down our windows like this, right? Yes, and there, was, the there was a journey thing. Turn the radio like this. We had this right. Unix code. And you that, turned on your, you know, a button and you changed the channel and it clicked. Um, click, click. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great point. Uh, let's talk about adoption. So yeah. fine, I buy in on this um, simple app development environment as you described it. I buy in on really connecting disparate data systems and having one kind of intuitive front end. Yeah. How do you drive adoption? How do you really you know help people embrace? Yeah. Um, in some ways, it might it might include change management in many ways and changing Absolutely. the way yeah. they do what they do. Talk a little about the adoption approach to new yeah. app deployment. Yeah, and I and I think you bring up a really critical point because I think very often, you know, let's throw the app out. People will use it; it'll be fine, uh, and that rarely works. Uh, people don't like to change. They don't like to do different things from what they've done before. So one of the ways we handle it um, when we work with companies is we say, look, you don't have to spend for five months figuring out the requirements, building code, like what coding language and how are we going to integrate this, that. And then you've got your developers doing all this QA and crap, like take all of that time and say, instead, spend that time on change management, spend it on training, spend it on the people, spend it on um, being out there in the field to show employees how to make it work, and then also be really receptive to feedback. Um, one of the, the advantages that we see with Appify is that when people are out there, you know, the, the back office built the app. Maybe it was the, you know, the VP or the business owner, and they're like, yeah, this is perfect, this is everything. And then you put the app out there and the actual rep, the technician is like, we never do this. We don't do that. We like, we do this other thing and I can't do it. And give me my paperback. <laughs> I won't use it. So, but as long as they know, give the feedback and the app can change. Like if the minute you show that the first time, and usually there's one or two of your technicians that are kind of your 
innovative, tech savvy, and they're okay getting in there and have that cycle of they listened to me and they changed it. So give them the feedback and they will fix it. As long as you get that cycle going, it'll be easier to get people to use the product. For our audience, uh, for a long time, I've thought about any kind of app deployment as almost like a theater act of before, during, and then kind of after, right? How do, we, like how do we really set the right expectations before we do this? Right. Unequivocally listening, training, really enabling users to use the platform. And then as Jen mentioned, as an ongoing basis, that continuous improvement. It's never, it's not a George Foreman grill of set it and forget it. It's an yeah. ongoing kind of development of this. So we've yeah. got some great uh, comments jumping in. Sasha, thanks, Jen. Excellent insights on capturing the employee experience, building into new technology. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so Service Council also has some great insights about journey mapping of the service yeah. experience and really subordinating the lower level tasks like inspections yeah. to the right skill sets. So then the senior, more senior engineers can really kind of focus on the higher value stuff. Talk a little about that. And are you seeing clients really invest in journey mapping and delegation of different skills to different capabilities in-house? Yeah, so we definitely are seeing that. I think um, we are usually on the um, tail end of the journey mapping. The journey mapping is happening, and then it's kind of bringing in Appify to then say, okay, everybody has a different experience, so we don't just need one app that everybody's using. We need seven different experiences. And uh, a great example of that is uh, Tata Medical and Diagnostics. So it's not exactly a field service, um, but it is taking a COVID test through the entire uh, process. And some people are just the collection agent and they don't need very much information in the app other than I collected it. This is who it's from. This is the time I dropped it off. This is where I dropped it off. And here's a picture to make sure that everybody knows it worked. But then it comes around to lab supervisors and quality checks and there's AI check. And then at the end, the doctor. And so the doctor doesn't have to see all the other parts of the process. They just see the part that they need to see. Here's the data. Here's the information. And then they sign off and the test is done. So that I would say from a journey mapping perspective, that's kind of how we handle it at the end is this ability to create these apps that are different, that are very specific to the needs of the individual uh, versus sort of the Uber app that does everything. And you got to figure out how to get around all the other information you don't need. We got another comment, great comment by John Carroll. 41% uh, of service leaders cite integration of technology into existing workflows as the greatest impediment to new technology deployment. Yeah. Are you seeing that? Yeah, and, and, and that's actually, that's you know where we started um, with this single pane of glass. That we're, We are seeing that a lot where you know, that it's like, oh, yay, we have new, this really cool new signal technology and it's bringing IoT from all of our assets. It's telling us what to do, but then where does the data go and who does it tell and what's the next step? And so th there's like cool stuff, like, yeah, let's do the cool stuff, but, but nothing to sort of integrate it into everything else that's going on. And, and that's sort of that single pane of glass experience that the end user will be much more interested in using the product if it's not like this disconnected, you know, oh, well, this and then this technology. We also hear a lot, too, of, uh, you know, oh, it'll take IT such and so, you know, two years to integrate these two things. So, the you know, the more that that's really where 
as we've been innovative, innovating on that integration layer, the more, you know, the more we talk to customers, the more we realize how critical that is to make it all work. Is it's got to be simple, fast, boom, 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 integrate, not a lot of extra information, and it just works. So that's what one of our big focus areas is on. Uh, talking about customers and uh, really bringing technology into the field service, customer service, customer experience space. At Google, at Box, you you really embraced a much broader audience. What is yeah. it like to build technology and sell to the service space? And what are the, some of the bigger challenges? But also, yeah. what do you see some of the opportunities? You know, one of the things that I think, and I'm going to say it funny, I think it's lovely to be in an industry that isn't a bubble of Silicon Valley technologists. So that, you know, like BI, content management, uh, even Elastic, all of these are very much targeted at Silicon Valley people. These are technologists, desk workers, knowledge workers. There's so much technology for these folks that they're inundated with different choices. Um, and they're important and there's stuff they're doing that's, you know, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's lovely to be in an industry of people who actually do things. <laughs> I wasn't like, going to say that, but sure, we'll just <laughs> And so to be able to say, hey, we're supporting people who are actually out there fixing something and helping someone and directly in front of a customer versus like, oh, it's really cool. The knowledge workers have a better access to the content that they created. Like, yay, it's awesome and important. But isn't it nice to actually be like doing things and supporting the rest of America, <laughs> not just Silicon Valley and the technologists? So I really, I, I really enjoy that aspect of it is being able to bring something and uh, deliver it in a package that works for folks who don't sit around all day reading their email and in meetings on Zoom. <laughs> I, I think one of the oil companies had those TV ads, you know, introducing us to the doers. And I yes. really think of the field service, customer service space as, as those doers, right? These, they're not just, I mean, it's fabulous to be thinkers and knowledge workers and all that, but as you said, these are the people that roll up their sleeves and get out there and do it and get it done. And yeah. and as I said, they they really bring the value of the brand to life because yes. they're customer facing. And by the yeah. way, no customer ever calls service or support because they're bored. They've no. got a problem. <laughs> and by the way, their hair is on fire problem. And right. whether it's an escalator or a medical device or something, I need it fixed and I need it fixed yesterday. So right. on, on that, um, Jen, I've always believed as consumers, our last experience always determines our next expectation. So mm. if I can get on Amazon mm -hmm. and order something and it's delivered from, uh, you know, the, the, you know, that afternoon, I ordered by 10 in the morning, it gets delivered in the afternoon or I order a pizza and yeah. I can see on my watch when it goes in the oven and when it gets delivered, that's what I'm expecting from the rest of the ecosystems that I work with. Yeah. What are you seeing in terms of service expectations, maybe from their customer, your customers' customers? Yeah. And how is that impacting the way they think about the, the real-time delivery of information, insights, and actually the service experience? Yeah. No, I think you've hit on something really important. I think we are, especially in the consumer side of things, the technology we have access to as consumers is so ridiculous and easy to use and fast and it does all the things and very often in the business context we get behind um, and and 
I actually believe some of the reasons that happens is that we use these huge technology stacks like the oracles and the SAPs, and we get a little bit stuck. We don't have the quick flexibility to improve. I even talked to one company that said, well, we're working on a three-year digital transformation project. And it was like, whoa. And you know, he, he admitted it. He said, three years from now, we will launch and we will be three years behind. And so you know, how do you manage in a situation like that where at the other end, your customers are experiencing all these great things on the consumer side and they're like, what's your problem? Software's easy. You should like, I should be able to see that you're on your way. I should be able to see that you're, you know, where you're coming from and that you're about to pull up at my doorstep. You know, I should be able to see all this stuff. So I think that is a gap that, um, you know, is sort of, unfortunate, <laughs> but businesses have to fill it and they have to be able to get the agility to move quicker, to be able to offer more services and keep up with that consumer experience that everybody's having. Because I agree with you, their, their expectations are different. Do you believe that's an enabler? Do you believe that that consumer expectation is pushing more businesses to do more and do it much more again you brought up agility which i think is yeah. fabulous right so do it with more sense of urgency with more agility of listen if they can see when their pizzas get delivered we right. do it, we have to do a better job making sure that service technician has right. the right parts on the truck when they roll up and none of yeah. this eight hour window of i'll be there between nine and five which we still get <laughs> yeah i think so what's interesting is i i want to say yes but I feel like before the pandemic, the urgency wasn't really there. there. There may have been some really innovative folks who thought, I will competitively get ahead if I invest. There may have been folks that were doing that. But the pandemic smacked people in the face because then all of a sudden they were like either out of business or, oh my God, we have to build this so fast because we're changing everything. We have a new market. We have a new way of delivering. You know, Everything was changing. And, and all of a sudden, businesses were like, oh, what we have in place is not enough. It's not fast enough. It's, not, it's too rigid. Like We've got to solve this problem. And it feels like, unfortunately, it was a pandemic that kind of kicked them into gear into thinking like, OK. You know, and then, of course, in the last two years, like literally everything went wrong in the world. <laughs> Yeah, one of my favorite memes, right? What what contributed the greatest you know advantage to your digital transformation, your CMO, your CTO, or COVID-19, right? That, that kind of pushed pushed everybody to kind of let's get going. Yeah. Which unless you tell me otherwise, it has to make that simple or, or formally known as no code that much even more exciting because like you said, I don't have time. And if I no. want agility, instead of figuring out and getting the resources to put this together, we can quickly develop this app and hit the ground running. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and the customers we had before the pandemic were able to very quickly go, you know, the first app we saw everyone build was a safety app. Like, let me quickly build a safety app. Do you have, you know, not just your helmet, but do you have gloves and uh, your mask and et cetera? And then they realized, oh, and the warehouses that our people are going into want that information as well. They want to be able to say, yes, everyone who's come into my warehouse has had all of these things. Uh, and so it sort of spiraled into like, we need a different kind of thing. We need this app. We need that app. Um, and let's 
let's go build it. And, and uh, that was sort of the moment of like, oh, right, it's awesome that we can do this. Uh, and certainly in the sales process where we talk about it all the time, like you need that agility. Yeah, Sasha's got a great uh, comment. Digital <laughs> transformation should never be a project. Amen. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. just like it's just like yeah. change management is not an event. Right. Yes, so, that's right. Uh, that's right. Yeah. And then John's got some great insights. And again, for our audience, I would highly encourage you to check out the Service Council ton, a plethora of research and insights from voice of the field technician to some some great insights about the trends in the space. So according to their 2022 Voice of the Field Service Engineer Survey, 2,000 plus technicians responded, this pressure that management is facing is trickling down to the frontline engineers. 70% believe customer expectations are higher. 77% believe management expectations are higher. Again, uh, Jen, in a, in a market where we've got that talent gap, in a market where we've got competing service organizations that are increasingly servicing not just their own, but potentially other products and services, this becomes really important, that responsiveness and the ability to move with, with the needs of the customer base. Yeah. And it also, it speaks to, you know, if you want to keep either your employees or your contractors in your camp and not in your competitor's camp, you have to make their job, you have to support them in getting the job done. Like no engineer is like, I love the paperwork. Like they, they, they want to not do the paperwork. Like how easy can you make it for me to go? Yep. That's what I need to do. Do the thing I want to do. And then, yes, I did it. Here's the information done. You know, nobody wants to spend. We've had customers that said their, their folks will spend hours at the end of the day doing all the paperwork. And it's just like, no, you know, they're going to go somewhere else. They're going to get a job with a different competitor. The job market is it's not a not a buyer's anymore. It's a and I've, and I've, yeah, and I've seen a service council research as well that that same voice of the field service engineer talking about how frustrating that administrative and that you're yeah. making me jump through hoops to get my work done. All I really want to do is you know make my customers happy. I want to show yeah. up and you know yeah. feel competent and capable and do the work, not all these other things. So. The beautiful part about being the interviewer is doesn't let you get away with not answering part of the question. So yes. I appreciate the lovely comment that you made about selling to those that are actually doing. What have been some of the challenges in selling yeah. technology to field service to the customer service arena? Yeah, no, I think that as we had one customer where the technicians have said, I don't want to use technology. I don't like technology. The way I do it is fine. Uh, and so that is, you know, part of the challenge. And then you, and that's where this um, balance between keeping your employees and being more efficient, you know, and trying to make your business better comes into conflict. Um, and in particular, you know, the business owner, or the business unit manager is saying, I want to make everyone more efficient. And there's a handful of folks that are, you know, I don't want it. I don't want your stuff. <laughs> so that is, you know, that is a challenge. And I think, you know, we're, we're, we're doing two things to hopefully mitigate, but I can't, I don't think that challenge will ever go away. I think number one, making sure that the app is as uh, close to the experience that the engineer has. So that first time that they use it, they actually go, okay, that was useful. <laughs> and so, and that's the way I, that's the way I work, right? So the app works the way I work, which makes it exactly. easier for me to use it. 
Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. If you think analogies way back, I think this is in the 90s, uh, I was helping uh, install uh, for Oracle um, CRM solutions uh, and exactly that feedback from sales reps. This is just for my manager. This is just my manager tracking my work. This is none of this helps me. This does not help me sell. I don't make any money by entering stuff. It just means my manager is going to be up in my face about like, what about this deal? What about that deal? And I think that's the same thing we're getting here is that it has to help the employee. Otherwise, it'll just feel like overactive management of like, well, they have to track my time and, you know, they're making sure I'm doing my job. And so why should I enter anything in this app? Because it just doesn't doesn't help me. And so that's what it's like. Okay, it better help the technician and you better listen to them to make sure that it does. Uh, you never get over those hurdles. It takes a long time to get over that sort of sadness. <laughs> yeah, we've also seen if you bring in, well, you hate to say one of them, but one of the, one of the target yeah. audiences you're trying to develop something for and right. have them lead that discussion. It's oh, the classic yeah. case of, you know, the empire's far and, and the mountains are high. You know, corporate doesn't get what we do in the field each and every day. But yeah. if you build, you bring a field engineer and really help, you know, help you, as you said, identify what steps they go through, what challenges there are. You're much more likely to embrace the way they work, not the way we yeah. want them to necessarily work. So we've seen that yeah, work. No, really as well. that. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and then showing that you've listened, making sure everyone sees, oh, you know, the curmudgeonly guy who said he hated technology now kind of likes it. <laughs> it. Now, is curmudgeonly a technical term? I'm just trying to find out. <laughs> so so let's let's extrapolate this forward. So I love that, again, that the simple app development really bring disparate systems together, really give the field service engineer a single view of what's happening. In essence, a 360-degree view of that customer. Jen, extrapolate for me, Ford. In the next decade, uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by, and my last book was around future of work. Where mm -hmm. do you see this going? Where do you see the role of that field service engineer evolving? Maybe the tech or platforms they use evolving. Talk a mm -hmm. little about what do you what do you anticipate happening in the next decade? Yeah, I mean, if you take a look at all of the innovation around, you know, AR, uh, VR, the the sort of virtual experience, the virtual um, being able to fix things from far away and not necessarily being out in the field, all of those things, I, and you know, and then there's IoT and the signals and the asset, you know, all there's just a tremendous amount of innovation uh, that will help and should support technicians. The hope, I think, you know, we always say in every industry, there's a moment where people start saying, oh, and then they won't need, you know, no code. They won't need developers anymore. We're all going to lose our jobs. Like, oh, you know, they won't need X anymore. We're all going to lose our jobs. I don't think that's ever going to be the case with the field engineers. I think it's that there will be more supporting infrastructure around them so that they can do more with the time that they have. So that that would be where I would see it going. And it'll increasingly be something where all of this innovation needs to be connected together in simplified workflows. Like we can't go back to, 
you know, going from this system to this system to this system to this system. We have to be able to bring it together in a way that makes it easy for an engineer to, to follow a business process and to do kind of the human side. Like the robots will never replace the humans. Uh, and, you know, 50 years from now, someone will take that recording and go, ha ha, you were wrong. But I don't think, I don't think the human aspect of support and service will ever be replaced by the technology that's behind it. So there's always going to be that person in the center of it. John uh, John Carroll talks a lot about services humanity, and I couldn't agree more. I think technology will become a greater enabler of those field service expertise and, and the technicians. And you're right, the, the empathy for that end customer, the connection with, with that customer that's struggling, those will always be, I think, very much a, a human asset, a human approach to solving things. So I neglected to mention, you're also on the tech count on the service council's technology advisory board. Yes. Uh, with, without, without making this a commercial for our sponsor, <laughs> talk a little <laughs> about service council. What are you getting from your involvement? Yeah. Uh, and what, you know, kind of talk about your role in the, in the advisory board. Absolutely. So I was so honored to be included in the, uh, in the advisory board. I think, uh, once I showed up and I, and the quality of people on this advisory board is so, so high. I, I felt even more humbled <laughs> to be included. Um, but I do think it's a, it's the thing about service council that, you know, the, the advisory board is sort of a, um, an example of is they really bring together, uh, the kind of the thinkers, the best, the people who are sort of in it and who are really committed and who are really thinking about how does this, how do we move forward? How does technology support, you know, these engineers in the field? How do we support, how do we handle the gig worker transition? How do we handle all these market shifts? And uh, what I love about Service Council is their events uh, are very high level. These are very um, experienced people sharing kind of what they're seeing, what they did. And, and the advisory board is, is similar to that, where I sit there and feel small <laughs> in in awe of uh you know that these other ceos from these very large companies that are uh participating uh so uh, you know it's a it's a great organization i'm a big fan obviously so um i i just think they've done a great job at keeping it um you know sometimes with organizations it just gets too big and diffuse and you don't feel like you're really getting you know, the innovators and the, the leaders in the industry to share their information. I think Service Council has captured that in a, in a very real way. Yeah, and, and it's uh, uh, kudos to John and Sheila and the Service Council Absolutely. team. Yeah. What I also really appreciate are the, the practitioners, right? So when yeah. you and I show up at one of their events, it's, you know, this executive from Schneider Electric or... Right. You know, this executive from Beckham Dickinson and, and people that are actually leading uh, real challenges and opportunities in the space. Yeah, and, exactly. uh, and and the other thing, Jen, I, I, I was really surprised by very pleasantly is there, as you said, they're sharing. They're, they're sharing yeah. their challenges. They're sharing. Yeah. Listen, our company just instituted a vaccine mandate. How do I get technicians who don't want to be vaccinated still out in the field to do the right. work that needs to get done? Or you know what? We just deployed this technology, and here's what it's doing for us. And it might be really good for you to look at. And and it was right. fascinating for the, to kind of hear a lot of those shared best practices. Absolutely, yeah. 
So we've got a comment again uh, from uh, a LinkedIn user. Any device I'm building a business case to get funding uh, technology when efficiencies are difficult to measure? Yeah, it's an excellent question. And, you know, I think efficiencies are always difficult to measure. I think there's, you know, as we all know, you try as hard as you can to start with the data. And if you don't have data, so you don't, let's say you don't have, you know, the increase in efficiency would save us X because it's this many hours per engineer per day. Like you try as hard as you can to get that data. If you can't get the data, then you try to go for anecdotal or survey. So surveying your engineers, how many of you are dissatisfied with this job? How many of you think about going to a competitor because you have this terrible experience and you have to work through this manual process, like trying to collect it that way. And then I think the third way, if you can't get it internally from your customer is to start looking at reports from service council, reports you know, from any of these industry analysts who are looking more broadly at the industry and saying, your competitors are doing this. And if you don't, you will be behind. And so, you know, all of those kind of ways of gathering data can help support your your business case. Um, but you do need to have, you know, a leader that that is thinking along the lines of what is the competition doing? How do I improve the experience for my customer? You have to care uh, about your customer experience. It, you know, you do have to get over that hurdle with management. And I got to tell you, I was uh, I got a tour of a manufacturing facility this morning and uh, the facility operations uh, leader that was walking us around said, you know, we invested this technology because it would save us 13 seconds. And at first you're like, what's the big deal? But when you talk about a repetitive task times yeah. 13 or thousands of times times 13 yeah. seconds, the cost of that technology and the implementation of all that is a fraction compared to time is money and their ability to yeah. operationalize, institutionalize efficiency across makes that investment worthwhile. I want to double down on your comment of a visionary leader who says, you know, and I, and I love this is a uh, Marshall Goldsmith book title, What Got You Here Won't Get won't You There. You there. Yeah. And, and it's a classic case of this, the field service organization and the, perhaps the ad hoc way that we may have done this in the past. Mm -hmm. will not be sustainable in the future. And unless we implement uh, some of these tools, technologies, workflows, change management, we're just not going to be relevant. So, yeah. so Jen, what's the best way for our audience to learn more about Appify? And is there a way that I can try this? Is there a trial period or proof of concept? Or how do I, how do I get started with your platform? Yeah, so all of the information you would need is on Appify.com. Um, and the and the step after that is to talk with us because I think the thing, the thing about an app building platform is that most people don't know what app they want to build first. And so having that conversation with our team where we can say, talk about the most like what are the three most important things you're working on this year? What's the number one project? What's the number one challenge that you're trying to solve? And then let's back into okay, so that's the the app, and then the data sources, here are the data sources that we need to implement into. And usually what we do in the sales process is obviously listen uh, and then show you the product, but then we will build a workflow for you and say, okay, this is your biggest challenge. Um, we'll do a quick and dirty, probably 75% of what you would do if you went live and let's show you what it looks like. And then we take you into the guts of it and say, and this is how you would have done it. This is how we built it. And you can see how you might build it in the future. So that's our 
that's our current sales process. If, if I don't have the technical expertise in-house, do you guys have a professional services arm or do you work with partners that can help us build the we outcomes do. and the end yeah, results? Yeah, we do both of those things. And I think the, the um, in particular, you know, we like to say you don't need to obviously be a developer, but you do need to understand a business process and mm -hmm. what an app would look like that could solve that business process. And you need to understand uh, what a data model is. So understanding like, oh, okay, here's the data that I need access to and which systems does it exist into. So we we rarely say like anyone can build an app because it's not true. It's, it is someone who understands how an app might work and how data and data sources work to bring the information that you need for that app. For our audience, if you missed this conversation, you missed a good one. Uh, you've been listening to Jen Grant, CEO of Appify. Uh, she is very, uh, very uh, uh, humble to mention. I, I mean, the, the accolades are ridiculous, right? So uh, one of the top 100 Princeton alumni in technology, 2021 Women of Influence in Silicon Valley by the Business Journal, number four on the SAS report of top women leaders in SAS. Jen, on behalf of Service Council, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. This was fun. For our audience, uh, we are live twice a month, uh, really sharing insights and expertise similar to Jen's from technology leaders, from practitioners in the field service, customer service, customer experience space. Uh, service Council also has the annual symposium coming up this September. John, Carol, Sheila, and the entire team do a phenomenal job in really bringing uh, fantastic practitioners. We're gonna be in Chicago. September 19 to 21. All of that detail is on the Service Council website. Hope you'll make time to join us, particularly if field service, customer service is important to your business. On behalf of Service Council, I'm David Knorr. Thanks for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks, everybody.